Welcome to another episode of Tell Me This. I'm still shocked every time I say it, ladies, that we are in the fourth season of this podcast. Crazy, crazy. Oh, there's the dog. Can you hear him? Um, so <laughs> I'm going to sort of talk about winging it. Kanita, you were saying before you're going to do a little bit of winging. I am too, because I'm going to try out a new intro and see what everybody thinks. So welcome back to Tell Me This. And for our new listeners, this is a podcast about all things belonging, community, connections, collaboration, and holding space for what is possible. Over the life of this pod, we have explored research and scholarship on or related to belonging, shared stories, listened and engaged with diverse individuals about belonging during the pandemic, as parents, as leaders, as human beings who show up for all the things. This season, we are journeying into belonging in our relationships, friends, spouses, coworkers, neighbors, at all levels. And today I am delighted, and I don't know if this happens to like professional athletes and runners and the like, but like I was feeling giddy and excited <laughs> <laughs> for this conversation because I am delighted, Brianna and I are delighted to welcome back Dr. Kanita Williams. So hello, Kanita. Hello, everyone. Thank you both for having me again. I was excited. I was giddy, too. So we're just a bunch of giddy folks. Awesome, awesome. And Brianne, it's so good to see you. I know you've been very busy, so you and I haven't even had a, a chance to connect. So hello. Yeah, hello. Good to see you both. Awesome. So I'd love to do just a quick intro of Dr. Williams. So Dr. Kanita Williams serves as the Chief Operating Officer at the Southern Education Foundation. In her role, Kanita works to strengthen existing programs, leads on key strategic initiatives, new pathways for impact, partners with the president and CEO in the development and management of organizational strategies and operations. She also represents SES values and efforts to key external stakeholders and the public and manages a cadre of programs and resources to designed to cultivate a constellation of change agents to enact policies and practices that lead to a more equitable education system throughout the South. Kanita brings a wide range of knowledge and critical critical experience to the education equity space, having held positions in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. Over the course of her career, Kanita served as the Partnerships Manager for Atlanta Public Schools, Senior Program Manager for Public Policy at the South Southeastern Council of Foundations, spent several years as a consultant for JFM Consulting Group, and worked on Capitol Hill as a legislative correspondent for the then-Senator Barack Obama. Kanita is also a Teach for America alumna and spent three years teaching third grade in Atlanta. She earned her BA in political science and history from Yale, her master's in public policy from University of Michigan, a teaching certificate from Georgia State, and her doctorate of education from Johns Hopkins University. Woo! Ooh. Ladies, <laughs> you got some experience and some credentials. Seriously. Oh my gosh. Woo. Company it is always here. hilarious to hear your bio read. It's like embarrassing. <laughs> it's like, why did why did I send that? I should it is not embarrassing. You you have taught me so much, and I'm going to say to you, be just be it, right? Like just being it, not doing it, just be it. So like yes. lean into who you are. I love it. Absolutely love it. And I have to tell you, Kanita, as we get started, um, you and I had a conversation several weeks ago now, and you used a phrase, and I know you used it in your dissertation, around um, a posture, right? A posture of racial equity, Um and I will tell you, and Brianne can attest to this, I have used that term 
several times in spaces with other in conversations. I'm always giving attribution to you, Thank um, you. but I just, it's really resonating. And um, like I joked with you, I, I hope we see more of that uh, in your future. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so too. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so we always like to, when we get started, Kanita, as you know, we always love to check in just to see how you are, how your family's doing, what's going on in your world. Well, it's going. <laughs> it's, it's lots going. Um, work is busy. Um, I mean, 2023 came in like full throttle. Um, so lots going on there. I think you also know that I'm teaching a course in the School of Education, Hopkins. So that's busy. Um, and then I have an almost 15 year old who is mm. I'm like her personal assistant. So that's always busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had two soccer games this week already uh, mm. in the evening. So, um, but things are good. Like no complaints or I can't complain, but I won't, um, you know, those kinds awesome. of things. I'm just in a good place, I think. Awesome. Yeah. I'm sort of bracing myself. If, if your daughter's going to text during the podcast to say she needs like money on her, her life <laughs> card or something. <laughs> and she likely will. <laughs> she might. Oh my goodness. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad things are, they're going and there's some things that are going well, it sounds like. So, mm -hmm. so as you know, Kanita, we always like to start out our episodes thinking about language and definitions. And so I'm going to ask the question in this way, given what we just learned about all of the experiences and training you've had um, and continue to, you know, the work you do at SEF, I'm wondering again, like, What's your conception of belonging? Like, how does you, do your life experiences, your professional experiences inform how you think about that word belonging? You know, that's a, um, a really good and interesting question. I would say, I think a timely question too. I think um, we all know there's like this just um, pervasive focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion right now. Uh, I don't know a single org that is not working on it or talking about it. So it's just so relevant um, in my professional life. Um, and I think, you know, belonging is professionally intrinsically tied to DEI, mm -hmm. specifically that um, inclusion piece, which, you know, we know can't be reached without a, attending to diversity and equity. Um, but um, I think people are just understanding that we have to move from counting people um, to actually making people count. And I think that's what mm. we're doing, or, or at least trying to do. Um, but I would say that my conceptualization or just what I feel, know, um, think, understand about um, belonging is really shaped uh, by how I grew up uh, personally in this just kind of very Black, and I would say Black and Brown, under-resourced Oakland, California, um, to my um, coming of age, if you will, uh, both educationally and professionally in these very white um, affluent spaces, starting with my time at Yale undergrad to my last 15 year career uh, in philanthropy, which, <laughs> um, and so I, I, don't, I won't say that I've always had the best conceptualization, but I'll share what it is and tell you a little bit why I say it, it you know, my understanding has evolved a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think it just was really about belonging to me was about me being able to kind of navigate, um, traverse these two very different worlds that I needed to exist in. Um, and honestly, it was a lot about, um, I think, code switching, which, you know, we know typically has been about language and a linguistic term, but is much more about just how 
underrepresented groups or has evolved to become more about um, how underrepresented groups, marginalized groups, whatever we want to call today, um, <clears throat> change or adjust their language, syntax, down kind of behavior and appearance to really kind of fit in in this dominant space. Um, and so we make um, subtle and sometimes not so subtle choices to be more accepted in these groups. Mm -hmm. And um, I was talking about this with someone the other day, not belonging necessarily, but I think it was um, very um, apropos for this conversation about you having a contextual identity. It's like um, your adaptability is, you mm -hmm. know, kind of just at your core of who you are as a human. And you change, you have this contextual identity, and then you kind of have this absolute identity. And so you can mm -hmm. um, shift and have your contextual identity. And that's what you do to belong. And it's okay, as long <laughs> as it's not in conflict with your uh, absolute mm -hmm. identity. So that's kind of what I've been understanding as like, how, how, what am I doing um, with my contextual identity to kind of fit into spaces? Um, and so mm -hmm. that's kind of, what I think about belonging or what I thought, but not kind of what I think now a little bit. Yeah. I'm curious if I could just ask a follow-up. I'm, I'm sort of processing this idea of contextual, right. And absolute. Mm -hmm. And what I heard you sort of allude to there was this idea of like congruence and incongruence, right? Mm -hmm. Like the sort of divided and Parker Palmer talks about divided and undivided, right. Is your internal and external sort of. And so am I hearing you say, and that's why I want to reflect back. When you say contextual identity, are you saying that there are moments where that works and there are moments when it doesn't work and it has to do with your ability to integrate your core into that context? Is that what I heard you saying? Can you just say more about that? Yeah. So I think you have an um, uh, absolute identity. It's just who you are at your core. Mm -hmm. um, it's your authentic self. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, we have to show up differently mm -hmm. in different spaces. And that is your contextual identity. And that's not necess like, uh, necessarily or, um, you know, a bad thing. Like we just mm -hmm. adapt. Um, and so, you know, how I talk to my daughter um, in our home is not necessarily how I talk to her mm -hmm. out when we're in public. And mm -hmm. that's a like very base example of contextual mm -hmm. versus adaptable. How I talk to my friends, that I grew up with in Oakland doesn't necessarily sound like how I talk to my friends that I made at Yale. Like it's just, um, mm -hmm. or how I talk to my black friends at Yale doesn't always necessarily mm -hmm. sound how I talk to my white friends at Yale. Like you just adapt and mm -hmm. it's not meaning it's not you. It's just a different aspect of you. And that's your contextual identity. Mm. Oh my gosh. We could stay on this. Yeah. I, 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 there I we go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing you're like dropping all these breadcrumbs and I'm like, we could go full. Of I have so many questions, but I will, I'm going to hold space for Brianne to, to ask a question for sure. Mm, I'd kind of like to sit with that, but okay, we'll keep going. Um, <laughs> but actually it's probably connected, right? So if we're talking about contextual and absolute identity, you know, where I wanted to go with the question is how critical is belonging to relationships? So I don't know. I, I I think there's a connection, but I'll let you make it. So what do you think, Kanita? I mean, I think, it's extreme, I, I think it's extremely critical. I, I think you cannot, I mean, I think you can be in relation with folks. Um, you can be in fellowship with people, but I'm not sure you can have real enduring, authentic relationships 
without belonging. I mean, I think our just human nature, our hierarchy of needs, um, there's a term for that, I can't think of it, but <laughs> um, just yearns for that, like it demands it and where we need to be um, in spaces where we feel, you know, safe, where we feel heard, seen, um, and belonging just fosters and nurtures that security. I think it helps facilitate trust. And these are things that are needed um, for solid relationships. And that I think actually even talks about kind of how my evolution of my understanding of um, belonging um, is has evolved and why I just understand it to be very different now. Uh, not very different, but like there is a whole other part of this that is equally as important. And I think um, I used to think, or at least my understanding of belonging was much more um, locating it with the individual. Um, and it was more about what am I doing to be accepted? What am I doing to fit in? Um, and that's not really belonging, belonging at all. Like you cannot put the agency, I'm sorry, the onus and the responsibility on the individual um, to belonging. It's like, there's also this part about what are your what is your family? What are your friends, your orgs, your community jobs, civic groups? What are they doing to make you feel welcome, to make you feel seen, to make mm -hmm. you feel connected, to make you feel supported? So that is kind of what um, what my um, now understanding of belonging is. And that's why it, it's a symbiotic thing. It's mutual. It's a mutual thing. And so you need it to have it um, to have really, you know, real, I think, or authentic relationships. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i like go ahead Brian. oh go ahead carrie no go, go ahead, ahead. <laughs> i like how you talked about security and trust right because mm -hmm. those words to me connects to connection right or can lead to to true connection uh -huh. um i'm really interested because carrie and i spent a lot of time talking about setting the conditions for belonging versus making someone feel like they belong like i can't make you feel like you belong right you can't right. make me feel that way but we could potentially set some conditions that might lead to that feeling yes what do you think i i, I think that's what you have to do um like you said you can't make people feel um but i do think um, you can do what you can to make them feel welcomed. Um, you can, you know, if I'm thinking about it in a professional way, like what are you doing to make me feel like I have a meaningful voice, that I have agency, that I have opportunity to participate, to co-design um, in structures, institutions, anything that kind of shapes my life, um, then you know, I think that are, those are the type of conditions that you can create so if someone feels belong uh like they belong and if they don't mm -hmm. that's kind of on them you're gonna you have to ask what else do you need <laughs> yeah from them. Mm -hmm. yeah it is i mean it is you know because i think what what i've learned i don't want to speak for a brand but i feel like what we've learned over the couple of years here is that belonging is this you know we had a guest talk about the the dynamic nature of belonging mm -hmm. right and we've yeah. talked about big b and little b belonging so clearly it's this like organic, moving, changing, oscillating, whatever it looks like thing, right? And mm -hmm. so I think we've sort of arrived at this idea that like I can I am responsible for cultivating and creating opportunities mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. belonging, right? Like I'm going to hold so as a teacher and an instructor and a facilitator, I walk into spaces in a very different way now. I don't mm -hmm. walk in so much with like my tool belt of of strategies, 
I walk in with, well, maybe a different set of strategies, which are like patience, uh-huh. grace, uh-huh. calm. Um, I don't know, just being able to hold listening, right? So like holding space for what's possible around belonging. Cause like Kanita, you could walk in tomorrow and something's going on in your world that you're just not that dynamic, dynamic, dynamicity, dynamic nature of belonging. I can't say that word is just calling you in such a way that you're not feeling it today. Right. 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 Like I did what I could. So it's, it's interesting that yes, I am taking responsibility and I, I have no business telling you if you feel like you belong, right. <laughs> like right, right, that's right. on you. That's really interesting. Right. Um, yeah. So I love what I heard. We've all sort of had this, this journey from like fitting in to mm-hmm. helping people feel belong. And now like, Oh, maybe I just create possibilities for belonging. Right. That's, that's what I can do. I don't know. I, I think that's spot on. I, and I think we, um, what we're doing is um, making belonging an action word. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I think we, always think it's a feeling and it's, it really is not a feeling. It's, it's about action um, yeah. and how we are showing up and, and what we're doing Yeah, um, and being, you know, often vulnerable too. I think there's some vulnerability there. And uh, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. yeah. I love that you said action. I met with a, um, I actually met with an art professor yesterday who's very interested in thinking about belonging in, in the spaces he works with his students. And he and I were just, he was asking me lots of questions. I said some things and he said, he thanked me for the conversation and, and really excitedly, he said, you are making me think of belonging, not as an object anymore or an outcome. Mm -hmm. It's a process. And that's exactly what you're saying. Right. And so we are turning in it into this beautiful process, which, um, yeah, I really, I appreciate that. See, this is why I get giddy about these conversations. (laughs) I just, I just love this. So I, um, would love, I mean, we have a question. It's about sort of, I always, I like to ask sort of what does belonging look like in your relationships? And I talk about markers and signals. I think I'd like to amend that question just a little bit. And I wonder, Kanita, in the spaces you find yourself, because I know you do workshops and coaching and presentations and all sorts of things in different spaces. I'm wondering, what do you notice are some of the conditions of belonging? Like, what are you noticing in the spaces where you're like, ooh, that's contributing? Like, does that make sense? Belonging. Yeah, that's a, a good question. So when I think about the spaces, um, mm, you know, it, it's it's a that's a good question. I'm kind of like, how do I answer that? I, I think what I've noticed is um, a number of things. Like one, it's just um, voice. Like, mm-hmm. do I feel empowered in this space? Do I feel like I can speak up? Do I feel like people want to hear what I say? Do I feel like people actually value what I say, even if they let me, um, you know, talk? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, um, you know, some representation matters too. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, in a lot of rooms where I'm the only little chocolate drop there. <laughs> And sometimes that doesn't always feel like belonging. Like yeah. I know that I should be in these rooms. I know that they need me in these rooms, but mm-hmm. I don't know necessarily if I feel like I belong and I don't know if they feel like I belong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there is some just kind of um, instinct there too. Like you just kind of, it's a gut feeling sometimes. It was like, yeah, no, 
I'm not feeling this and I don't think they're feeling me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of, those are the times where you don't necessarily show up with your authentic self. You're just like, okay, I'm going to bring this contextual identity or my representative mm-hmm. today and just kind of be here to do what I need to get done. So I think those are some of the things, but I think where I've seen this uh, spaces where I felt like most people have felt like they belong, it's, um, it's honestly, um, like facilitators being, um, intentional to attend to that affective part of these Mm -hmm. spaces from the very beginning. Like you start off saying, these are our norms. This is how we're going to show up together. Um, you know, step, you know, step up, step back, don't hold Mm -hmm. it. Like all those different kind of community agreement type of things. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, that goes back to this thought of that this is being a process and actionable word like it's just not always something that you just go in and feel and just happens automatically Mm. or organically like sometimes you have to have some intentionality about setting the stage for it yeah Mm. I think because I think for me that's the personally that's the question I'm wrestling with and been processing and reflecting and iterating on if you could see my like scribbled notes from days (laughs) of just thinking though that's the question I have is like those conditions, right? So if that's what I'm responsible for as a facilitator, um, you know, how do I have an effect on the conditions that show up in the spaces we find ourselves? And I agree with you. I think I always go back to in coaching, we call it in, you know, designing relationships, which is mm-hmm. like, what do you need to show up in the space the way you need to show up to do the work we're committed to do together? Right. And so, you know, it could be confidentiality, trust, uh, listening, right. All those things. So, um, you, one you thing see, we always yeah. say is grace, like extend mm, grace. That's yeah. just one, like we're going to, particularly in the conversations that we're having, which are so sensitive, like race and gender, just identity conversations, yeah. you just have to do that. And I think if you put out up front, um, people are probably going to say things that you don't like or don't yeah. agree with. And as long as we know that it's coming for, from a good place mm-hmm. um, and take this as an opportunity, like a teachable moment, yeah. that's when you start to see um, it because, you know, there are, com- I've been in, I've also, it's funny because I've been in spaces where I am like the only person of color mm-hmm. um, and I can very clearly tell that my white colleagues are not feeling belonging, but because they're scared to say, because they think they're going to offend me. And I'm just like, that's not, we're here to learn together. Like, so extending that grace um, is is very important, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think the conditions that you described or the sort of the, the intentionally attending to the effect affective part that you talked about in, in larger spaces, groups, do you think that also holds true in your relationships with your daughter, with your friends, with like, are they similar conditions or do they show up differently with those sort of more intimate relationships? I, so I think, um, I think they're similar, but they just show up in different ways. I Mm -hmm. think in any relationship, um, or if I reflect on any relationship that I've kind of had to like sever in personal, personal Mm -hmm. or professional, it is because I did not feel seen. I did not feel heard. I did not feel like I had um, a meaningful voice opportunity to really kind of just help co-design things. Um, but I do think um, 
you know, there is this in your personal relationships, you have, um, I think space for a little more conflict and conflict resolution around belonging than you do mm -hmm. in your pro professional ways. And so I think that also means that, um, how these things show up, uh, mm -hmm. you can, they're di dynamic and you can navigate them a little differently. Um, mm -hmm. I think you have to still be a little more careful <laughs> mm -hmm. around these things in the professional, um, yeah. spaces. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. Which is kind of related to code switching, right? Um, yeah. yeah. I wanted to circle back to the idea of belonging to self, but in the context of your um, expression, absolute identity, and kind of expand a little bit on that. So if we think about absolute identity as, like you said, your true and authentic self, like your most true self, I'm curious because we've had a little bit of this conversation with other guests about your thoughts around how does that evolve? Like, how does that develop through childhood, through adulthood? And I asked that because you shared your path a little bit so that you kind of grew up one way and then now you're in a different context. So what do you think about belonging to self and how, how does that evolve? Yeah, um, that's, I mean, I think belonging to self honestly can be, be trickier. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. probably even more challenging. Um, I think it requires um, much more introspection, uh, much more reflection, um, much more honesty about, you know, how you're showing up. Um, and, and it is, you know, about evolving and growing. And so it means like not only living authentically, um, but also continuing to learn myself, adjust my needs, um, who I am, my trajectory, and according to the ways that I'm growing. I think, um, you know, it's funny when I think of belonging um, to self, for for some reason, um, the serenity prayer came to mind and I, and mm -hmm. I've talked about my faith uh, and, you know, I'm Christian and, I, mm -hmm. and it's important to me and it really is being able to, um, have a serenity in mind about what you cannot change, um, courage to really, really go out there and change and, and be reflective and, and do the work, <laughs> um, the self work, uh, to change what you can change. And then really having wise enough to know the difference between the two. And I think, if you are in a good space with those things, like that self-belonging um, comes a little easier. But I think, you know, um, we're not always forgiving of self in the way that we should be. And I think that makes it challenging. And I think also um, sometimes we can get in the space where we think um, our absolute self and identity is just not good enough. Um, and so we actually have to be in that contextual identity a little more or, or change who you are. Um, and I think there are also times where we do change and we don't give ourselves the grace and space to, to know that that's okay. Like I am very different based on my professional and educational experiences than many of the friends that I grew up with. Like I, we just do very different things now. And that doesn't mean I'm not still Kanita from Oakland, California. It's just, I'm just a different version of me and that's okay too. And it doesn't make me any less real. It doesn't make me any less down. Um, you know, those things that we say about people who just kind of evolve. Um, and I think 
we can often get in space, particularly um, people of color who have to still be down, quote, quote unquote, down that like we don't often give us um, ourselves the space and opportunity to kind of evolve in the ways that we are and know that it's okay and and really be okay to have that level of self-belonging that we need. I hope some some of that made some kind of sense. <laughs> yeah, it did for sure. I really love this idea of the absolute identity sort of as your core and also that that can change a little bit as you evolve and have different experiences and relationships. And the part that I'm really thinking a lot about is the fact that you say, you know, sometimes then you move over to the contextual identity and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and you learn something from that experience. I, I don't think I was thinking that before we got on today. I think I was thinking like the gold standard is to be true and authentic to yourself always. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing and maybe, I don't know, you can clarify is that sometimes we extend a little bit outside of that. Like we push the boundaries a little bit and Sometimes that doesn't feel great. And so you know that that's maybe not a place that you want to go and and assume that as part of your absolute identity. And other times it does feel good. And so that's maybe that's where the growth can happen sometimes. It is. And that's what we're saying, like, um, you know, absolute identity is not a static thing either. Um, Mm -hmm. Like it should be like. I should not be the person I was when I was 17 years old and graduated, well, 18 and graduated from high school and went to college. Like I still have some very core beliefs and values that are not changing. Um, But like, you know, we just grow and evolve as people. And some of that is, you know, you get into these contextual identities and you're like, actually, this feels good. Maybe this is me too. And you start to kind of, uh, Like this is now also part of my core absolute identity. So good. It's not good, it's not good to be quiet on a podcast, but I can't help but be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so you said when you started talking about belonging to self, Kanita, you said, and really surprised me. That's why I want to circle back to it. You said sometimes it's harder to belong to self. And so I'm still processing everything you said, but given, and given what you said, what do you think makes it harder than doing the, the, like working on the external belonging, right? Like thinking about all the things we were talking about before previously, like what's harder about self you think? Um, I think we're just a lot more critical of self than we are of other people. Mm. Um, it, you know, we just, there's always something, especially like if you're just this, kind of type A overachiever type people, which I know a lot of, and I would (laughs) guess that there are probably three on this podcast today. Uh, (laughs) It it just is like, it's it's never enough. It's never good enough. And Mm. so like, you feel like I could always be doing more. And I think that really prevents you from just being um, kind of comfortable and content and in that space of self, um, self self-belonging or belonging to self. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I need to, I'm going to think on it. I'll be thinking on it for days, which I love. Um, it, it makes me think, Kanita, that it's like, that's such a good reason to double down on the internal work, mm-hmm. right? If it's, if it's that much harder, then we should be investing, you know, way more time than we are. I mean, you know, at least more than zero yes. <laughs> on, <laughs> on the internal work. I agree. Um, if, if it's that much harder. Um, if if I can, if if both of you don't mind, um, I 
that that damn uh, breadcrumb is still sitting on the path um, with this contextualized um, identity. And if it's okay, can we circle back just for a moment on on that topic? Is that okay with, yes. with both of you? Yep. Yeah. So I I hear what you're saying. I think, and so I I need you to correct me if I'm if I'm not getting what you're saying. So this is my interpretation and I'm going to use different words so that I can understand it. So as much as we all agree that belonging is not fitting in, we will also acknowledge in the same conversation that there are some times when assimilation is required Uh that, I mean, in in a very simple, simplest terms, and I'm going to be very careful with this because I want to honor that there are individuals in our country that speak multiple languages, but sometimes the space demands that we're speaking in English or we're using US currency or we're following the instructions of a classroom, right? Like that's a form of assimilation. Like I get that in order to sort of transact, right? Like transactional sort of processes. I think the part that I'm struggling with and I need some help with is contextual identity mostly feels icky to me because it feels a lot like code switching that you're asking to show up in spaces in ways that, that mostly don't align with who you are. And so can you, is that not what you said? Is that, I don't know. Can you both just react to that? So uh, that, I mean, this is a great question. And I said, that is kind of um, was my initial understanding of, belonging that it was very much about code switching yeah about this contextual identity about this um having to you know show up in a a few different ways to be accepted and I almost said actually I almost said assimilate earlier Mm -hmm. um but I think the problem with that is what I said earlier is that you're putting it on the person and it's not on the person it's on these organizations to create spaces to where so For example, um, and this is a very kind of base example, but like we talk about language and code switching and there's a difference between a school that comes and says, you know, instruction is in English and we're trying to get all our English language learners Mm -hmm. to learn English and a school that is like, oh, actually we have a 40% Hispanic Latino population. So let's go and be a dual immersion program. Like that is very different. And the latter is organizations trying to see the sense of belonging. That's where we need to be. Um, But the reality is still do have to do uh, Mm -hmm. some code switching and that's where your contextual identity comes in. And my thought is, um, it's natural to adapt. It's not, you know, Mm -hmm. not um, always, inherently a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but when your contextual identity is in direct conflict with your absolute identity, that's when you have problems, Mm -hmm. when you're trying to be somebody that you're not. Mm -hmm. Um, Like how I show up in these spaces um, for work are different than how I show up at home, but they're also easy for me because they are a part of me. So that is just me adapting or bringing out my other self Mm-hmm. Um, but my most authentic self is how I show up at home. And those mm-hmm. things are not necessarily um, mutually exclusive. They're not mm-hmm. necessarily a bad thing. But when you're always in a space where you just cannot bring any part of you and people, 
um, of your authentic self and you are always needing to create it so you fit in, mm-hmm. like belonging to me is not fitting in anymore. It mm-hmm. really is about creating opportunities for people to belong. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to clarify, that was yeah. my kind of initial thought about right. And yeah. now I understand that it is much more of this action word and that the it, we can't locate it with on the um uh, with the individual is kind of where I was going with that. Yeah. yeah. That makes that makes sense. I was because I was reading um this weekend I was reading this great um introduction to a, a book called Covering and it's about a, a young man's journey from um coming out of the closet and his and his journey. Mm-hmm. And he talks about there's this really great, he had this wonderful teacher who sort of was a a mentor to him. And he writes in the the chapter, he talks about how um, she had access to so many selves, not only in herself, but in me. And she said, he says, um, Maureen understood the coexistence of these selves. And so he spent so much time, you know, at the time, um, you know, he really wanted to, in his words, assassinate the gay self right mm-hmm. to have that just mm-hmm. disappear and 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 this teacher said oh if it were only that easy to kill a part of your identity right that would be the easy right. way out and she said to him i'm paraphrasing this this the goal really should be to figure out how to coexist right that at times parts of your identity will be amplified at other times it'll be quieter and so so i'm wondering if that's that contextual piece yes. that you're and i was thinking of her words and sort of imagining the different ways that your same self show up, but maybe show up differently at different wavelengths or magnitudes, whatever, depending on where you are, which I thought was really cool. I think that's actually a much more eloquent way of what I, of what I was trying to say. It, it really is. It is kind of, it's just different identities showing up. Um, yeah. But when you're in a space where you just feel like you are not being you at all, um, mm-hmm. that's when there's a problem. And yeah. so, yeah. Um, you know, part of my identity is black part of my identity is a woman part of my identity is tied to this you know pedigree of education that I have and you know my religion um and they all show up in different spaces and I think when you you kind of get in situations you assess and like okay which part of me needs to show up a little bit more today um Mm -hmm. and that is kind of your (laughs) contextual identity like you're just adapting for the space that you're in yeah it to me it's really interesting it's I love where this conversation is taking us. And again, I have to continue to process it. What I, what I, what I'm feeling personally is that as a facilitator walking into a space, you know, while I am not responsible, well, no, while I, while I cannot control how you perceive belonging, what I can do, Kanita, what I'm hearing you say around this contextualized piece of you, if I notice that my black and brown colleagues are coming in with a, a very contextualized sense of themselves that I, I sense is not congruent with who they are with using my white privilege, I should speak up that yeah, and, and say, and, and it's not about Kanita, you're not, you're not being authentic. It's about this space does not feel like it's inviting everybody to the table, right? Like that's the responsibility I have. I wonder is what you were making me think about. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely the case. Um, I think, um, also, 
also just the reality is sometimes people are just not going to bring yeah. all of themselves to, to situations yeah. like, like they just don't want yeah. like they're just times where I'm just like okay this is the Kenita that they're going to get today yeah um which is still Kenita but it's just yep. a, you know a different one Absolutely. um and I think that is you know okay uh-huh. um w- what I don't want to lose in this though is that um we do absolutely still have to code switch though. That's, that's part of the yeah. problem. Like yeah. it still I has to happen. Um, and so it does happen. Yeah. Um, I hear yeah. that. I hear that. Yeah. Brianna, it was making this conversation is making me think, wouldn't it be fun to have Heather, uh, you Hannah, and Kanita in the same space? Cause what we talked about Kanita with Heather, do you know Heather? from the program she taught in the program she does I think I, ha- I took um multiple uh ME with her I think yes I you probably you probably yes. did yeah and, and we were talking about you know the the spaces that she finds herself because she does some really hard work around equity um you know with with folks and what she what we ended up talking about was authenticity vulnerability and your last comment made me think about boundaries mm-hmm. that you know, while we, while these are inclusive spaces, that also means that if people only want to bring 30% of who they really are, then, then that's a boundary that is right. Self-care. So, um, right. yeah. So I thought that, but I think that's okay. As long as that yeah. 30% is authentic. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the piece to me. Yeah. 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 And also know that we are not always, we're not the ones that can really gauge if it is authentic or not. Like, yeah, that's, that's key. Um, yeah. and you know, it, I mean, it's just, it, it just becomes really just tricky. Um, yes, it does. Yeah, it's funny that you said that. Cause that's exactly where my brain went. Can you know, was okay. So as a facilitator, I'm holding space for opportunities for belonging. I'm holding space, knowing that people are going to show up with different from zero to all, right? Mm-hmm. And I also am holding space knowing that I'm not always, I'm not really going to know, <laughs> which is sort of a like, I don't know. I just have to sit with that for a little while, right? Like I'm trying to do something and and support something and I'm not going to know if the something is, is working. <laughs> some well, way. I think that first of all, people bring, walk into any space with a lot, right? I mean, we yeah. know this because we talk about that and we like try to offer a space for people to share if they're interested, but they're, th- that we're bringing a lot. Everybody's bringing a lot to whatever interaction. So there's that piece that's mm-hmm. going to impact regardless of what you do. There's, it's going to impact yeah. that person's ability to show up fully and present that day. Um, and I also think that you are really good, Carrie, at soliciting feedback. And so are you going to know the percentage of authenticity? No, but can you get a, a gauge of how people felt? Yes. Cause I think one of the things Kanita said was offering people the opportunity to participate in co-design. So when you set those conditions at the front end and then you do check-ins in the middle, like how's this landing? Are we kind of hitting the important things? Where are we? And then at the end you ask or and include in you know space for feedback about people's responses. I think you can get some good, a, a, a good understanding from at least some people about what the workshop or whatever that you did, the activity brought to them. So it'd be nice to have an exact barometer. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. I don't dismiss that, but I also think that you're really good at facilitating in such a way that you can get a sense that, oh, that did seem like, it seemed like people were really engaged and they talked longer than the, the, the time that we gave them and they lingered on points and they went off on a tangent that seemed really important to them. And Yeah. 
Well, this is where, I mean, this is where for me, for me, thinking about this topic, this is where the belonging to self and the confidence and the grace and the efficacy plays in, right? Because like part of this work, and I know both of you know this very well, is just continuing to show up Mm -hmm. because some of the people in the room are just like, I don't know, I've been here before and I got burned. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wait. And they wait. And so, so, I mean, I've had students that it wasn't till the 10th week, right? And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, all of a sudden, there was this like, right, they were always paying attention, they were always engaging, but maybe they weren't verbalizing. Um, So sometimes you just have to trust in your heart, what you're doing and get the feedback and then, you know, just keep showing up, right? That's, that's all you can do. And I went through in kind of a curveball, but not really, I guess, is that also we want to be careful to not um, think that engagement is analogous for belonging. Yes. Um, because I've definitely True. been in spaces. Belong. I actually, you know, was just invited to a funders collaborative. Um, and I walked in and I it literally was just, you know, a room. There was yeah. no other people of color there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's talking about how to serve students of color. Um, and I didn't know if I necessarily felt like I belonged there or I felt a sense of belonging, but I know they needed to hear from me. Um, yeah. So I was going to stay and I was going to talk and I'm going to continue to show up. But it's not necessarily a space where I, um, you know, um, necessarily feel um it's funny because I say I, I might be going back on that because I say you feel sane you need to feel empowered you need mm-hmm. to feel those things um and I probably feel empowered I probably feel seen but I don't feel connected um mm. and so I think that's the part that's missing in the belonging yeah yeah, yeah I think I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think you're 100% right that engagement engagement can mean all sorts of things for people, right? Talk about code switching, right? Like if you're in a space where you think it's expected that you participate, you may, right? Muster up Mm -hmm. the courage to do that because it's what's expected in that space. It doesn't have anything to do with belonging. I think the other thing, Kanita, for me that you're pointing out is, and I got to dig into this a little bit more at another time is there are different aspects of belonging, right? I heard you say, I have a voice, I feel seen, but I didn't feel a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. I think there are, yeah. yeah. So just sort of thinking about what are the, what are the different facets or layers of belonging? And like, when we say true belonging, right? Like, what does that actually mean? True belonging? I don't know. I don't have an answer. It's just a question that you sort of sparked in me when you said that. So yeah, maybe we should do a podcast on that. But... Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we should. <laughs> true belonging. True Absolutely. Belonging. Yeah. The facets. The facets of belonging. What is true belonging? I don't know. Maybe that can be a part two. So, um, Brianne, anything before we start to wrap here? No, just to give Kanita the opportunity to share yeah. anything else that we didn't get to before we close. Um, I mean, this has been a, a great conversation. I don't, I don't know um, if there's anything. I feel like, um, you know, the interesting thing when I think about. Um, belonging I feel like I always go to one identity in particular and I think we tend to think about belonging in terms of and and it could just be my field but like really about race and ethnicity and Mm -hmm. and if I sit and reflect on like times where I um have felt 
not like I didn't belong the most, it's probably been mostly around kind of like me being a woman, like gender identity, which is very interesting mm -hmm. um, to me. And, and, I don't, and I don't know if we always give enough space to talk about how other identities um, mm -hmm. and, you know, can be impacted. I, I it just, that was just something that popped in my head. I was like, where have I felt like I didn't belong? Um, and it is, you know, it's um, space, particularly now that I'm kind of in this um, C-suite space, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, even in my own organization, I'm the only woman in the yeah. senior leadership. Um, and so that's different. Um, you know, all our directors are male. <laughs> so like it, it, it is a very different um, space to show up into. And so it, I, I didn't have anything profound to say about it, but it was just something that kind of popped in my head. Like, what about belonging when it relates to my other identities? Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that we we're, we might have to have a part two here on <laughs> true belonging. Cause I feel like there's, you're like uncovering a couple of things, right? Which is these like elements of true belonging. And then, oh, this would be such a good question. Like when you think of belonging, which identity are you wondering if it belongs? Right. Like, cause like you're just honing in on like the thing you think about. And so when you, of course, when you said that, I was trying to think about like, well, how, how do I sort of, right. Like, how do I answer that question from what I did identity perspective? That's mm -hmm. so interesting. Mm. It is. It is. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, how about we leave our audience with that thought and we will, maybe we can, Brian, maybe we can talk Kanita into a part two to, <laughs> to unpack this. Get on her calendar. If you want to twist my arm, maybe I can do it. <laughs> I think it's just getting on that calendar with all the things going on. I don't know how, uh, I don't know how you do it all. So especially I, I also having either. a 15 year old daughter. So, um, all right, everybody. Well, Kanita, as always, the giddiness was equalized by the fun uh, that we had on this <laughs> podcast. Thank you for all the engaging questions and thoughts and um, just appreciate being in this space with both of you. So thank you very much. Thank you again for having me. I really appreciate this. And it's always a very, it's just enjoyable. It's fun. I feel like I can bring my authentic self. <laughs> I felt like I belonged here today. <laughs> check, circle, check. Right? <laughs> All right, everybody. This has been another episode of Tell Me This with so Brianne Ruth and Karen Bukowski and our lovely guest, um, Dr. Kenita Williams. Thanks everybody for listening and be good to each other. All right, take care.